everyone. Welcome to our very first ever sequel pitch spoiler cast, or as it's kind of, um, as it's, as we're presenting it with the two SP capital letters, a spoiler cast. And so maybe Oi. there'll be a better way to stylize that without making it look like the word is being sick. But I think, but you know, it's synergy, it's brand synergy. So we're going for it. My name's Drew Toynbee. I've seen No Time to Die. With me is Ross Harmston. Hello, I'm Ross, and I've seen No Time to Die. Yeah. And also, we have welcoming back very special first ever sequel pitch guest, Jordan King. Hello. I am Jordan King, and I have seen No Time to Die twice. <gasps> yes, he has. I Jordan have. is, it, we, Ross and I are breathing rarefied air. In the presence of someone who went to the very real IMAXI press screening of No Time to Die on Tuesday in London. Jordan, certainly... how was that? Uh, it was, I mean, the, the experience once you're sat in the cinema and you know you're watching the film after two years, incredible. Um, the lead up to that, all kinds of stress. Long, long story <laughs> involving... PR invites and then no you're not going and then yes you are going and then arriving at the front of the queue at the venue to be told you're not on their list and we'll go and find Uh you a seat and then getting to be in your seat and then being told once you're in your seat two other people have been given the same seat as you (laughs) (laughs) by which point you just sort of stare at the floor and say I'm not going anywhere now (laughs) just here to watch the film and you can't make me leave so this is like we don't have sections planned for this. This is just a big, a big chat about the movie. Um, and so I, I've kind of I've written down a few talking points that I might or might not hit. But what what do you guys want to talk about? Is there anything that jumps out in particular for you to discuss? So yeah, I mean there are a lot of things to to talk about with this film some very very big spoilery things that we will get to in due course but i would say that maybe a good place to start would be at the very start with probably one of the most unique cold opens in bond history i really yeah. really really love it and i i find it's it, it's almost like a horror film um which really took me off guard when i first saw it and the second time as well yeah. And like, yeah, the, the moment Safin appears at the window is a really good jump scare. But it's also like it, it's a cold open within a cold open because mm. I I almost when it gets to the end of her sort of flashback and then we go to Madeline in the water remembering it. And I was like, oh, are they are they going to do a Christopher Nolan and not? and have the title sequence at the very end of the film because it felt like we'd had the pre-credits scene and it was that little sequence and then the film just got going but it worked so well yeah yeah, did you... yeah definitely a different a different approach than they ever have done um also a bit of backstory to the the baddie that they set up uh in this one as well like um who is not Doctor No, by the way. No, no, I was I was so desperate for that reveal and it never yeah. came. <laughs> yeah. mm. um, who is he? No one knows. What was he doing there? No one knows. But it was good. Like it had elements of like a little bit of Hannah. Have you ever seen that film? Like yeah. it, it felt mm. like that kind of uh, thing. Um, and obviously a really good callback really good callback to the conversation inspector where she reveals she knows how to use a pistol to bond when they're on the train because he's trying to teach her and she's like oh a man came to the house and and i had to and i stopped him yeah yeah also thinking back to this because i walked out of the cinema overall with this film just loved it really really loved it but i was a bit disappointed about the villain but mm. thinking back to this, the cold open, it's he's Madeline's villain. He's not Bond's villain or yeah. he's he's Bond's family's villain. And yes, he is still tied to Blofeld in some way. But it it's. 
I think part of part of why it didn't sit right with me was because I was waiting to find out why he's connected to Bond, but he's not. He's connected to Bond's sort of wife, common law wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also I think something as well. Like I mean, I I completely agree in terms of I I was somewhat underwhelmed overall by both Rami Malek's performance, which was it was it was a very earnest and committed creepy bond villain performance uh, i don't mm. think you can doubt that he was he was you know trying to sit alongside your sort of historic blofelds or you know um scaramanga you know he he was definitely aiming for that ballpark mm. um but i think that there was something very generic about his villain presentation like the the non-specific eastern european accent and the sort of wishy-washy plot to take over the world that kind of hinges on I love Madeline and also people want to be ruled over which was a slightly odd but the beginning though when you're first introduced to him in the mask Mm. it was such a what I liked was is that when you you go through the gun barrel and you go into you know that overhead shot and it's just slowly tracking towards the house and you see the figure there and then you see Madeline with her mother I like I like the fact that it it basically plays out in real time that whole encounter and you know that he's approaching you see them sort of having a reasonably normal conversation I mean normal as it can be when you're talking about (laughs) her father and it's like do you love murderers which is very foreshadowing (laughs) but like you've got this you've got this like innate sense of trepidation about like what's going to happen when he gets to the house like once he gets to the house everything everything is drawn out and protracted and i think this is actually overall leading up to when the song no time to die comes in i think it's the longest pre-credit sequence in any bond film it has to be, it yeah. has to be. Um, i think it's a because it, i was sort of subcon well not subconsciously but i was checking the watch a bit to see on a second watch i think it's about 24 minutes all in all well That's yeah because you've got mad. the in- because you've got the entirety of the the Italy scene where he goes yeah. to Vespa's grave, then he has the car chase scene, then he gets them on the train. That's and then that's when the the old style of the like circles come up, like the mm-hmm. Doctor No. Um, uh, yeah, and, I mean, yeah, it's like you get two cold opens for the price of one, essentially. Yeah, um, and I really, I really, really love the transition from Madeline's memory to her in Italy yeah with James and then like the way that that's immediately looped into like this is what the this is what this story is going to thematize throughout that like the the idea of the past on a collision course with the present and you know like when Bond says to her where did you go to earlier and you know there's all of this talk the guy taking them up to the hotel saying like oh why are you what are these people doing with the fire oh they're burning secrets mm. and it's like it's almost like a pun like burning secrets <laughs> but but you get that thing straight away of like bond and madeline are both on a collision course with the past in the present and how's that going to either prevent or lead them to whatever lies in the future i thought that was really slickly done in that very as a very first opening gambit for the film to come at that point i was there like okay i'm in with this now and such this a... isn't going to be specter again yeah <laughs> and it is it was nice to see like an actual car chase like a, a with with some gadgets and we're yeah, and... being used yeah that was really good and, I've... and some sheep yeah yeah and some sheep <laughs> Release the sheep or I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> I'll kill you. Release Jesus. the sheep or I'll kill you. Just some little farmer boy just like, oh, okay. <laughs> how, how do you get this number? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I love, this, I love the scene where they're just in that courtyard in the Aston Martin and it's getting pelted by <sighs> bullets. And oh, he's yeah. just and he's just looking at the steering wheel. And, you know, uh, the, the, the journey that Bond's gone on, I really enjoyed because you know he got betrayed by Vespa, who he who he loved, um, and he he doesn't trust. Like he's gone through this whole like the rest of the films, not really being able to trust anyone, not being able to let anyone in, um, and then he finally let her in a little bit, and 
you know he immediately thought she he she betrayed him and and I, I like that moment of him just literally looking at her and then going okay okay or well, fine let's go um i really love that scene that scene was really yeah. good yeah it also it just it felt very like uh, as much it was very visceral like yeah. the the gunshots against yeah like, you, could, you could see the tension in the wind that like yeah at what point's it gonna break but also at the same time again it was like this thing of uh the, uh, one thing i was obsessed with was how well the film managed to like You've you've got um, incredible like wide shots of vistas of all of these brilliant exotic locales like you've got Italy and Cuba and Jamaica and Norway and gorgeous cinematography. Yeah. But also like the film did such an amazing job at taking you into Bond's headspace, mm. and I just yeah. felt like that that scene in the car, gunfire raining down. You can see the rage bubbling inside him, yeah. and he doesn't quite know how he's going to let that come out. You can kind of see him deciding what to do in the moment yeah and i think like that moment where madeline is like pleading with him and it's kind of like a moment where he probably realizes okay right these people are going to kill her as well as me i'll do something and then this is it for us Um, and then you know you see you see the you see the machine guns come out of the hubcaps (laughs) and it's just it's such a like when i went to the to the imax screening of it like you could feel the ground moving under your feet like it was a really punchy cinematic action movie moment, but it was it was like shot through with character, which I think is where Spectre maybe lost me a little bit more. Was that some of the action in Spectre felt a bit detached, whereas yeah. like in Casino Royale and Skyfall, and to an extent even Quantum of Solace, there was a lot greater sense of the man in the middle of the action, and I yeah. think mm-hmm. this film brings that back really well. And then obviously you get to the end of that that whole car chase and bike chase, which also has got one of my favorite, like just little mini bond moments when he clotheslines the bionic eye bad guy. He just like just like yeah. clotheslines him off the bike. And that's a real like, public schoolboy rugby tackle that. But it's also it reminds me as well of like when you are first introduced to Craig's Bond uh, outside of the bathroom fight at the beginning of Casino Royale, like yeah. that parkour chase was yeah. so like he's not a parkour specialist like he is ultimately like uh, like you say public schoolboy kind of fight like that bit where he runs through the wall when he's yeah. in the chasing it's just the brute out. strength isn't it, it? Like... the same energy of that was him like cutting him off at the pass and just throwing his body at him yeah, yeah. and it's like right that'll stop you and it's then when a... he has that like glance over at the bike and gets on it i was just there like yeah that's a that's a cool bomb moment yeah and the fucking awesome stunt scene where he jumps off of off of the bridge uh, yeah. with the off with the, the rope wire. and um, the, the excellent um, bike ramp jump sort of up up a wall and that huge arc into uh, into the square with the people walking through just it's it's such a great such a such a kinetic action scene and just so ah yeah I can't I can't think of enough words to express how much I enjoyed. All of that. Okay, you're back, I think. Yeah, I just got no. you back. Oh, this ne- why does this never happen at work? <laughs> why is it that when I've got work calls, everything's fine? But as soon as I'm trying to do something actually fun, um, <laughs> that's hot though. It's so there was something else that I wanted to say about when they're in, when Bond's in the car and the um and the, the and the windows being shot in and Madeline's sort of pleading with him. So because I read that as I read it as he believed her that she hadn't betrayed him, but because that trust had been gone even for five minutes even though he believed her he he knew that he couldn't get it back Mm. and Mm. but but is did you guys take it different did did you so jordan you sort of said he realized that she was going to die and so you saw it as him wanting to protect her even though he didn't believe it wasn't it wasn't so much that i i didn't think that he ultimately believed her i think that it was just that in that moment in the car 
he's kind of there and he he doesn't have time to process what's just happened the anger that he's been filled with it's almost mm. like it surprises him in some ways and so in that moment he's looking at her he's realizing that if i don't do something now she's going to die and i think that like he could be on that borderline between i believe her because look at that pleading look in her eyes and also it's just the fact that he loves her as well like yeah he loves her and so no matter what she had done i don't think he would have let her come to harm because i just don't think that he could do that especially after what happened with vesper he couldn't let someone that he loved die again even if they'd betrayed him because obviously the the note that he leaves at vesper's grave to burn says forgive me mm, yeah which you know recenters the fact that he still feels guilty himself for for letting the first woman that he loved die yeah in yeah. that situation <clears throat> oh so thinking about women that he well yeah this thinking about vesper um Jordan, you, I, I, you've been, you've gone back and done a, a rewatch of the whole franchise up I have. to now. I have, and for me, serializing Daniel Craig's five movies has been exactly the right move. And mm. whether or not it was quite the intention, or whether it feels disjointed because they obviously didn't have the rights to call Quantum Spectre. And then they got the rights. And so then they were like, oh, okay, well, we've got to have Spectre. And so let's have Spectre be the even bigger baddies. Whatever made it feel disjointed. In the context, but I haven't watched all of the other Bond films for a long time. Yeah. In that context of the 20 movies leading up to these five, or the, yeah, the 20. No, you're right. Yeah, it's 25. Do you think that? it was the right move for the franchise or, I, or do you think it risks I, alienating people? I think that, see, it's difficult for me to talk about because I have never been the most like ardent admirer of classic era James Bond films. Uh, I never connected with them on much of a level as a kid, even though ITV had them on some sort of a marathon every week as a child. <laughs> but I I I never really found an in to like connect to that character. And I think I was spoiled a little bit by also growing up at a time where the Bourne films were starting to be to be made and Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise was, you know, mm. that was serializing the Ethan Hunt story. Yeah. So like I feel like for me revisiting the Bond films now there's high points in that classic era of like one-off adventures like Live and Let Die for example uh, I really enjoy and uh, as much as it's very much maligned I think the stupidity of Moonraker just it felt like such a felt like such a relief to watch a Bond where I didn't spend a lot of it going oh god am I gonna watch a 58 year old man stick his tongue down someone's throat again please no please like it felt it felt amazing to me to approach that point, which I think started, to be honest with you, there was a hint with George Lazenby's On Her Majesty's Secret, Surfe- uh, Secret Service, which obviously this film owes a hell of a lot to, mm. um, not least in the all the time in the world motif. Um, but that film started this idea of like, what if Bond, but human? Like, what if Bond isn't just this icon, this like, sort of um totem to suavity like what if he also can feel pain and hurt and loss and you got that more with timothy dalton who he only got to have two he only got to have two outings obviously with license to kill and the living daylight but they felt like such radically different bond films even for the you know mid to late 80s and then i think like with with pierce brosnan um golden eyes top three bond for me i think golden eyes an absolutely brilliantly poised balance between some of the campier sensibilities of earlier bond and also an attempt to try and tell something that's a little bit more in keeping with modern blockbusters Mm -hmm. uh, you know offering some emotionality and offering you know offering a hero that can have weakness 
but I think what what happened by the time you got to die another day which I think by most people's standards is the worst James Bond film and if not the worst it's certainly down there in yeah. the, the bottom tier I mean there are things that are sort of like passively fun if you don't think about it like an invisible car as an idea is maybe quite funny Madonna singing a Bond song also quite funny considering yeah. she did a much better Bond song for Austin Powers um, <laughs> But by the time you got to Daniel Craig, and for me having marathoned at that point 19 James Bond films and kind of going, okay, there's a lot of repetition here. There's a lot of, you know, towards the end of Sean Connery's era, you can see that he's even starting to get tired of these one-off adventures that don't really go anywhere that often. And you can tell that towards the Roger Moore's sort of the end of his time as Bond, you can sort of feel a lethargy coming into the films because it's like, where are these all leading to? Yeah. Like these are fun on their own, but like, I think now we're in a time where people want a continuing narrative. They want to spend time with this character. If I'm going to have five films with one James Bond, I want to feel like he's that one person and he's growing in some way or being challenged in a way that I'm going to go on that journey with him. Yeah, You know, over the course of Craig's five Bond films, even if there are blips like Quantum of Solace famously blighted by the writer's strike and a potential actor's strike, Spectre, you know, it's more spectacle over the emotional heft of something like Skyfall, which for a lot of people and myself until I watched No Time to Die, I thought that that would have made a great end point probably for Craig's Bond, even though it would have only been at three films. Yeah. Because that felt like such a, almost like a, I don't want to bring up The the Last Jedi on an unrelated podcast in case it gets people baying for my blood, but it almost <laughs> felt like a The Last Jedi level deconstruction of self-myth and narrative. Yeah. And, you know, it picked apart Bond as a character and his roots in a really perceptive way. And obviously the death of Batman was like such a, a huge thing for the series and the franchise to do. But I, I think that, you know, to to answer your question at long last, <laughs> I think that by the time we get to Craig's Bond films, it's exactly what the series needed for it to be able to endure in the way that it now promises to. Mm. Because it's not always going to be enough to just look back on the old Bond films with nostalgia and go, oh, well, I I like Scaramanga with his golden gun, or, you know, I like all of those different madcap villains' layers and, you know, quite two-dimensional Bond girl characterizations and tasteless quips. Like, (laughs) at some point along the line, you need to be able to look back and actually go, okay, I got something that's going to stick with me now. And I think Daniel Craig was so adamant that he wanted that to be his legacy if he was to take on that role he wanted to be able to say by the time I've done this people are going to remember that story that we told over those five films and because of how well I think No Time to Die manages to tie together some of the messy knots that have been threaded over the course of these films you'll look back at those five and you'll never go oh I'll just watch Casino Royale I'm not going to bother with the others or I'll just stick on Skyfall you'll go well, actually, I want to watch all five of those films yeah, exactly. because I want to see that progression from here to there. I I can't think of another film. Uh, I It maybe has happened with seasons of TV shows, but I can't think of another film that has capped off a series and retroactively kind of improved the ones that came before. Absolutely. It, it's, uh, there's, there was very little room maybe improved is the wrong word but certainly added more depth um and as we as we're talking about capping off craig's run let's get into the big spoilers <laughs> um it it is a definitive end for his character being blown up by i think the hms dragon yeah um yeah, being blown up by a load of ginormous, what looked like Iron Man Jericho missiles. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he's he's dead. He is properly dead. And I I've, I felt like it was it was so unexpected. And Jordan, we've we've had some conversations over Facebook 
about when we suspected he was doomed to die in the context of the film, uh, which we could discuss in a second. But do you guys, was it the right choice? Was it the right move? Or did you, do you feel like he should have been able to ride off into the sunset? Absolutely. I think they needed to do what they uh, what they did um because everyone was assuming that he was going to ride off into the sunset and the thing about the character is that every why is my thing going so mental um the thing about the character is especially with james bond everyone assumes that he's got the plot armor to survive and and carry on to the next one so what better way for them to subvert that because they've already done that with creating a story for this one like they've not done this before they've never linked any of the other ones together in terms of a story yes they've had the same character in terms of blofeld and stuff but played by different actors but like they've never linked any any of them together so what better way now again to subvert the fact that people are like oh yeah he's gonna survive because it's james bond you know he's he he gets he's 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 james bond it's james bond he's gonna survive what better way than sony pictures and mgm to subvert that than killing him off like and it was such a poignant thing you know like you know he wants that life he wants that life with with um uh madeline um he wants that happy ending and the fact that he couldn't get it is shit but it's a good i don't know it's just, it just it 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 was a perfect end for me what did you think jordan i yeah i mean <clears throat> the when when i went to see the film for the first first time for the press screening um it, i i wondered coming out whether it was just the the occasion surrounding it or the fact that i hadn't slept much in the last few days but like i i cried a lot in the last 20 odd minutes of that film mm. and i wondered at the time whether it was like say just just the moment sort of getting to me but then i went to watch the film again and you see so many more little things that make you go okay he's not going to he's not going to survive this and i was tearing up earlier even this time because right from the very beginning i mean the the all the time in the world queue coming in as as soon as it does you kind of you you know that okay historically speaking if you know any james bond that brings with it bad news so you know that something tragic's got to happen here but then also i was thinking as well when i was watching the the opening credits like the the animation sequence which is sort of like typically out there and weird for a bond anyway but there's things like the 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 dna helix made out of guns and like this idea yeah, of Bond yeah. being so inextricably linked to violence. Yeah. You know, it's literally in his DNA. And yeah. so the idea that at the end of it all, he has to die because else that that weapon part of who he is will always be there. And as long as that weapon side of who he is is there, the people that he loves won't be safe. I think that made the fact that his ultimate comeuppance, as it were, is being poisoned with the knowledge that if he ever touches someone again, they'll die. I mean, like, that's such a literalization of the the the, the biggest flaw in Bond's character and also yeah. the most human aspect of him as as a person who kills for his, his queen and country yeah. is that he can't be around people without them being in harm's way. Yeah. There's like there's moments in the film where, you know, he's bundling Matilda into the car and, you know, he's got his hand on his gun. And he's got a hand holding her. And it's like, there you have it. There's the tension right there. His his past is tied to the gun. His future is tied to this child. And at the end of the day, to be able to give her the best shot, he has to succumb. And there's so many little um things that made me watching again go okay he like 
this is the point where people are going to realize that he's not making it out. He gives when he gives her the jumper yeah. and says that it's cold. I just thought like one, it's so beautiful that like nothing's made of it. Like in that final scene with the car back in Italy, you don't see her like with it draped over her or anything. But the idea of like a father giving their child something to remember them by, like that just made me kind of go like, oh man, like yeah. James Bond, like he is being all the dad that she's going to need to remember growing up. Like she's going to know that he gave her that jumper. Like yeah. when he, when he picks up the bunny as well. And like, oh, yeah. And, and as um, Drew was saying on Facebook, like once he's down to his white linen shirt and you're there, like it starts with the blood and everything, you know that like, he's just marching slowly towards the end. And that final ascent, that like three minute one, well, illusion of a one shot as he goes up the stairs, taking on, you know, basically doing a, a greatest hits of Bond, like with the coolness <laughs> and the brutality and the efficiency. Yeah. yeah. You know, and even managing in, in amidst the, like just before this storm's about to rain down on us, like you even get like probably one of my favorite stupid quips where he uses the EMP watch and he's there like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I really blew his mind. Blew his and mind. it's like, you can, you can tell Daniel Craig was just chewing that up. Like he yeah. really loved it. Yeah. But like... I don't know that whole like upwards rise towards that rooftop, you know, it's, it's interrupted by Safine. And I love the fact as well, that when he has to kill Safine, you can tell that at this point, he knows where everything's ending. He doesn't even care about killing the killer anymore or the bad guy. Yeah. Like he, he literally doesn't, doesn't even look at him. doesn't even look yeah. at him. He just shoots three times and it's yeah. just onwards and upwards towards the end. Yeah. And I don't know, there's something so heroic, but, to steal how Roger Ebert described Spider-Man at one point, which I've always loved, heroically human is what sets Bond apart. Mm. Because when all those missiles are eventually raining down on him, you know, he's going to get blown to smithereens and then it cuts to Q and you see the the blood, like the, the heart rate monitor has gone to zeros. You're there yeah. like, he's just flesh and bone and he's gone now. Mm-hmm. And so that idea of Q and M and everyone being in the office clinking the yeah, the, the, uh, the scotch glass on the table. The scotch glass, yeah, exactly. And then the idea at the end of it all that Madeline turns the love of her life into a story to tell her child. His name was Bond, James Bond. Like even just talking about it is making me yeah. sort of get the goosebumps and get the emotions going. I just, coupled, yeah. coupled with Hans Zimmer's like music oh. as well at the I, end. I was oh. going to say Ro- mm. Ross is a Ross is a. I I thought I was quite a big film score aficionado, and Ross is way above me. <laughs> and Ross, you you've been spending some time today listening to the soundtrack. How how is yeah. it for you in isolation? Is yeah, like yeah with with the soundtrack for me like i always pick i can always picture what's happening on in my mind in that film and that that end that end score with the Hans Zimmer and it's it's got the Hans Zimmer-esque stuff to it it's got a little bit of inception in it right at the end um and like i like that Hans Zimmer also you know led lent on a lot of the on her majesty's secret service music like when he's talking to ray fines by the side of the thames and it's got a it's got the yeah and uh, exactly yeah and i love and and we have all the time in the world um when he's driving through italy and stuff uh Mm. uh the score is just brilliant and and that moment yeah, made me well up as well. Like when when he's just ascending up and he's like you know talking to Q and Q's realizing that he's he's dead or he's not coming back. Um, and just even just when he says like, "I'm not gonna make I'm not gonna make it back. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make it back." Yeah. Like that was just yeah. Do you know oh. what as as well though that that got me was that when the moment that um Lashana Lynch says can can we redesignate Bond as 007 mm. 
Like that was yeah. another thing for me where I was there, like they're giving him back everything so that this like Herculean or Heraclean in this context, <laughs> image of image of image of a hero, like they let him be that man for this like one last shining moment before he performs the ultimate sacrifice. Mm. But I bit I listened to the well, I mean, I obviously heard the score again today, uh, getting to watch the film again, but I then on my way home decided to just listen to it because it obviously came out today. Um, I decided to just listen to and the, the the actual piece that plays as he goes up the stairs and he's got Q on the, on the earpiece is called The Final Ascent. Mm. And oh. it's just, it's such a... Sometimes I think that there's an accusation that Hans Zimmer goes so big sonically with his scores that sometimes it just gives you goosebumps because it's so loud and so like all encompassing. Yeah, but yeah. I think what he gets down to here is it reminded me in a lot of ways of Interstellar and something like Time from Interstellar. Yeah, where everything's building and it's like the orchestra. It's it's almost like the orchestra becomes another character in the film, like. It's something inside Bond's spirit that's pushing him on towards this final moment. Mm. Um, but it's it's just such a, be- a beautiful like harmonization of the, the the photography and the the sunlight waning and everything just feels like the perfect farewell. Yeah. So by the time it comes, I think that so much care and love has been put into trying to preserve Bond's heroic legacy that I think I was ready to accept it. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is very important. And I think that'll be one of the key dividing lines for a lot of fans watching the film is whether or not by that point they can accept that he's going to. Because yeah. at the end of the day, like it happens. And if you accept that it happens, you can then look back on those five films. You can look back on that story arc and you can say, wow, what a, what a way to cap this off. This was the only way that that story could end. I think if you can't by that point accept it, then all you're going to have there is a frustration where you're kind of there like, ah, oh, I just, why didn't they just let him have the Dark Knight Rises ending where he's raising yeah. the glass to um, on some sunny island? <laughs> but for me, having accepted what was going to come, it was almost peaceful in a weird way. Yeah. I almost felt like after everything that he's done and everything that he's been through, that was the only way that he could have found peace ultimately yeah. sacrificing himself, knowing that he's kept his, the, the woman that he loves and his child safe. He can then just all of that pain, all of that rage, all of that hurt can just end. Yeah. And it's, I just, I don't know. I've found that really beautiful. And having watched all 25 films in this past month, I never imagined I'd get to the end of a James Bond film and be inconsolably upset to say goodbye. But I yeah. was with this. I think that's, I think, oh, sorry, Drew. I'll, no, 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 you go, um, mate. You go. I was just going to say, like, I think that's a testament as well to Daniel Craig. Like, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of Daniel Craig when, like, not even, not. I didn't believe that he was going to, like, he was going to be a rubbish Bond or anything. It was just, um, I didn't think of him in that way. I don't think, but seeing him progress over these five films has, has just been amazing like and and the last and the last film and ha- his performance in that film is so good gives mm-hmm. such weight to the character and such like and that's what i think the others lack and i think that's why the other 20 films i think they're good performers like all the, the you know Sean, it's Sean Connery but when you're an actor you want something gritty you want something you want something to latch onto as a as a character rather than just saying quips all the time and i think they really after after casino royale even actually in casino royale like they gave bond like they gave him a lot of character moments with the with the death of vesper and you the know the shower scene the shower scene yeah 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 which is yeah. such a such like, a bold thing to put in a bond film as well it's so incredibly tender it's it weirds you out the first time you see it you just don't expect anything like that well exactly like in any other previous bond film that would have turned into a sex scene yeah very quickly that that was the only way that bond could interact if if 
if Bond was going to interact with a woman, he was either going to shoot her, say something <laughs> glib, or have sex with her. And do you know and, what? Actually, that that kind of reminds me of a point that I wanted to try and make, which is that for all of the like people that were going, oh, woke warriors are going to kill my Bond and all of that <laughs> stuff, like this film maneuvered a more progressive approach to making a James Bond film with such class and like mm. such a, a lack of any sense of, you know, front and center agenda to it. Yeah. Even just little things like the fact that when him and Madeline get back to the hotel at the start of the film, she takes off his top. You know that yeah. it's still Bond yeah, yeah. being the smooth guy that's going to, you know, get his end away with the woman that he loves. Like, you, you still get that, like, suave coolness about Bond and he can still be sexy and smoldering. But, like, they're just generous about it. And, like, with Anna de Armas, you kind of see him, like, initially go, oh, yeah. uh, I think... You know, like that moment where he's like, is this your room? No, it's a wine cellar. And he's like, don't yeah. you think we should get to know each other a little? And she's kind of like, no, 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 no. Yeah. But like, there's <laughs> just a, great. you can still appreciate that it's Bond, you know, trying it on a little bit, having a flirt, because no one's trying to say that Bond's character shouldn't be flirtatious or shouldn't have this sort of like smoldering insouciance about him. But it's just the way that it's presented. It's presented in a way that means that you don't also have to start low-key disliking the guy for how he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, as well, with the with the female characters, like Lashana Lynch comes in as 007 and plays it well. Yeah. And they don't try and say, oh, well, she's just trying to take over your James Bond. Blah, 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 blah. Like, she's a cool character and he respects her and that yeah. makes all the difference. But all, and, but she, she respects him as well mm. like obviously there's there's the banter at the beginning where she's where people are addressing her as 007 with him present and she's like oh does that bother you and then but then he gets it back straight away going into the office and she's not allowed in and he says it back and, yeah but it, I, I I have to admit I still think I do think it was gently handled and it's uh and I from my perspective and I think from a a more woke audience perspective they have done a good job of balancing older bond with new bond i will also say i'm positive and i've seen some evidence already of some people still being convinced that the woke warriors have have destroyed bond um but it's interesting jordan that you <laughs> that you talked about accepting that he was going to die and accepting the film for what it is in the story that they wanted to tell, because that's actually, that's a journey that I had to go on with the last Jedi because yeah. I, and I think there, there is, I, I would be fascinated to have a, a bigger conversation at some point about how much watching a film, how much your experience of watching a film can improve if you accept the film for what it wants to be not what you mm. were hoping it would be um because that's that's the journey i went on with the last jedi because i was disappointed the first time i saw it because i wanted luke to use his green lightsaber and pull a star destroyer out of the sky using the force and he didn't <laughs> and i was like oh well yeah bleh. and then i went back and watched it and actually went okay so what is the film trying to say if it's not going to do that and i was like oh it's actually really fucking beautiful and i love it um and it's hard it's hard though isn't it because i think like you have to even even though we you know, a, a lot of people like complain about toxicity and fandom and people being very expectant about i want things the way that i've always had them i think you do have to i mean when people start just being uh part of the language dickheads about it you have to call that out for just mm. you know call a spade a spade but i think there is something really interesting to be said though that when you have formed an emotional attachment to a series or a franchise or a specific character, especially. So like for yourself with Luke Skywalker, for a lot of people, I mean, for me, I formed an attachment with Daniel Craig's bond because that is ultimately my bond that I grew up with as in, in the sense that I was old enough to know um, Casino Royale when it came out. And by the time we got to like Skyfall, I was going to the cinema to watch it. Yeah. Uh, whereas like with Pierce Brosnan and all the ones before that, like 
they would sort of like absorb through like osmosis essentially yeah. and ITV. Um, <laughs> but like it's I had to go into this last film with my mind entirely open to the fact that this story's gonna end and it might not end with my hero still being there alive and breathing like mm. he's still there and i think that's what's lovely is that they do so they give so many nice little touches to remind you that like he's always here in this world like the world of the film and nothing's tainted that legacy it, as we've already discussed like it's we all feel it's a very fitting end to that specific narrative but there's definitely something to be said about the relationship fans have with characters and that sense of ownership and almost entitlement to a specific ending to a story mm. and the acceptance of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we could probably keep talking for for ages on this. But I think I does Oh no, no, right. I want to talk about something I It's not what I didn't like. I wish that they I know that Safin Safin for me is a big big thing about this movie that I I struggle with because I know that they I know they need a bad guy for him to, to you know have a one last fight with it. he needs to go on one last mission I felt that the Safin thing was a bit just rushed and it didn't really like you didn't really know who he was how he got this island, how he got these people who are just swishing around water in this light light submarine, th like this like underground thing in this bunker. Um, and I think for me, that was the, that was the thing that I was like, ah, I get, I totally understand that in a two hour, 45 minute movie, you're not going to be able to do, they, they chose to, like you know focus on bond rather than focus on safin yeah i get that and and that's fine but i don't know i just felt at the end of it it was all like oh okay okay we've got a why has he got a mask no no doesn't matter okay uh all right he's he's now he's now gonna kill everyone with some things okay cool um like that for me i don't know didn't didn't hit too much obviously it's a tiny part of the movie that I didn't not like hundred percent agree with because it was about more about bond and I get that, but I don't yeah. know that for me, I know. And also the death of, um, the death of, uh, what's his face? Felix. Um, Blofeld. Felix. Blof well, death oh, of Felix Blofeld. and Blofeld. Blofeld just died off camera. Like he just, yeah. he was there one minute and then he's just like, like he, he, did, he yeah, he get was a really gruesome death that the other Spectre people yeah. did. He just sort of he got some spots coming up, and then that was it. Yeah. I I did find that. I don't point. know. Yeah, do you guys agree? Did you agree about Safin or? Yeah, I yeah, I I think that I just I just have I just fell on the side of going. This film's about Bond. Yeah, the bad guy's just there because he has to be. He's you know. He's got that the stereotypical facial disfigurement thing that has recurred throughout <laughs> yeah. Bond films. Yeah. The generic East, Eastern European, like he was, he had his moments where he was threatening and chilling. That cold open alone made it like worth having him there as a facet of the film. Like that is a really mm. cool villain introduction. I also thought that the psychiatrist appointment with Madeline and like the way that the tension was built in that conversation to the reveal of his mask to her i was there mm. like oh this is like interesting villain stuff and i think in that middle third of the film which if there's a thing in the film that i feel the weight of especially watching it again that like point between maybe around an hour and ten ish to like the two hour point there's about a 50 minute portion where you spend a lot more time with M kind of bumbling and saying that he's going to need to call the prime minister, which just <laughs> makes me think of Boris Johnson and takes me out of the film. They, yeah. they proper give uh, Ray Fiennes a, a heel turn in this, in this movie. Mm. They're like, yeah. oh yeah, you're, you're a, you're a bit of a dick now. Cause you created this super weapon. Do you know what though? That's interesting that you say about it being a heel turn for Ray Fiennes M because I do think that, it doesn't go as far with it as it maybe could have done if it had committed Agreed. more fully to it. Yeah, yeah, they, but, they yeah. do. They exonerate him 
pretty thoroughly. Like he has that yeah. one line <laughs> yeah. of, "Hey, this was going to be this was going to be the perfect no collateral weapon," and and nothing happens. Like, from oh, okay. Yeah. But also, it almost kind of like, "Hey, if we launch these missiles at the end of the movie, if we blow up this island, it's going to cause an international incident," and then they just do it, and no one and everyone's like, "Oh, no, forget <laughs> about it." Bond's dead. No one's going to think about that. Let's have some scotch. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But like, I did think that it, they kind of incompetence, like from, from MI6 and also from the CIA, like there was the, there was a, it wasn't fully developed, but there was a sort of theme of like how incompetence leads to international incident and enables someone like Safin to, have this layer where he's got these random minions working for him with glow sticks on a farm <laughs> underground. Like, yeah, yeah. It's but you know Just what though, swishing like, the water around. I yeah. did in some ways after the sort of severity of tone of a a lot of this film, but also especially like Spectre and Skyfall. It was quite nice to return to a little bit more of a bond that makes you just go, "Well, this is just silly." Like yeah. it wasn't silly to the point where I went. I'm checking out now. I'm not involved. Yeah. I'm not invested. But it was silly in the way that made you go, okay, I'm going to be getting emotional a lot of times during this film. Thank God when I come out of it, I can rip the shit out of some of the stupid things that are said and yeah. done. I think, I, I think with that as well, we haven't had any, in Daniel Craig's Bonds, we haven't had anything like that sort of high stakes like you know this yeah. was this was this was high death this was like this everyone's was going only... to die yeah and mm. the others were all relative so you've got casino royale which is just one terrorist quantum of solace which is the water supply for bolivia which is a pretty big deal but it's it's not like yeah. world ending stakes skyfall is really personal specter is Wait, how was the Spectre even end? Oh God, we did Again, it on the podcast the... a week, like a week ago. Well, it's the oh yeah, it's it's Blofeld, so it's still very personal, um, and it's just MI six. And then this is the first time where it's really like, oh okay, if Bond doesn't do this, it's the end of the world, and so yeah. like. Again, when you look at it in the context of other Bond movies, there have been plenty of movies where Bond has saved the whole world, but it's it is it feels really nice that they held back for craig's bond that he goes out literally basically saving the world yeah yeah definitely definitely i'd agree yeah right i think i can hear uh, a young lady who is quite loud in the background on one of our calls <laughs> Um, yes that would be mine <laughs> it's getting a little bit late but this I, I think this has been a fabulous chat. Um, yeah. yeah, I've enjoyed it. I would, uh, next time, if if I can faff around less with the technical aspects, we will have a bit more time for whatever the next film is. Um, might as well, really, really quickly, Jordan, you've given this film an official score for a publication. Um, so what, your, what's your score out of five for No Time to Die? My, my score was four stars. I think, though on revisits especially re-watching it today i think it could be an emotional five i think a critical four yes uh, well, that I, is good I, I love i love that qualification um ross how about you i'm gonna give it a 4.5 uh because i i think bumping out for the emotional level uh for me was i think it's all it's whatever runs true for you doesn't it really like a lot of people don't like lost the ending of lost but i love it and i was crying <laughs> at the end of it and uh so yeah for me i think it was a perfect send-off for daniel craig's bond he he was he is and probably will be i mean I, i'm saying it now i think he's been the best bond he's been the best bond they've had um yeah so yeah could we just agree. before we do before we do go yeah. Uh, do you have like a favorite Bond moment in this? Because I do have one, and I don't feel like many people are going to say it, but I really like it. So I'd I'd like to have an excuse to mention it before going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Go please it. do. I really, really love uh, when you get the whole scene with Paloma, 
which I, I love anyway. I think Anadamas is great throughout it. I love when they have the they have the drink, they say salut, but I love how he goes to the other end of the bar and he slides over the countertop and he just sort of sharply adjusts his suit for just a split second and just like struts out. Yeah. It's such a cool, slick, only Bond would do that thing. Yeah. yeah. And I was just there like, oh man, he's so cool. Like I just, it just I don't know. I, I really loved it. And I was there like, I'm gonna mention it. Somehow I'm gonna mention it. <laughs> Good. I'm very glad you did. Um, Ross, have you, what's like your your one moment oh, of the film? Oh, I don't know yet. You go. Uh, actually, it's when he. I I, f- I really love the Norway fog uh, forest scene where he wraps around the uh, the thing around the um tree and then also then he and that practical i think it i think it must be a practical fair or he wasn't actually near the car when it flipped over but when the car flips over like over the log and goes all the way over and then he lets that guy just he crushes that guy under the fucking he kills magnuson with a range rover yeah Yeah, that was pretty badass pretty heavy um what was yours i think i mean your two are probably better choices um although like off 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 my dome i probably wouldn't have thought of them i think for me it's the um the the car chase at the beginning just, just yeah um, it's so good just the the yeah. his performance it's not a cool bond moment necessarily although getting the gatling guns out on the aston and the smoke and doing the donut and shooting up the the square is a pretty damn good moment um <laughs> yeah. yeah and j- for for my score i'm going the same as ross kind of splitting the difference i completely agree with you jordan and we might have to start doing this on the podcast and giving an emotional and a technical score because it's such a great way to quantify it for me it is definitely an emotional five um and the yeah. the amount that I loved this as a capstone to Craig's time in the role completely makes me forgive the occasional clunky exposition dialogue or bit of ADR that they've added because they're worried the audience won't get it or slightly yeah. weak villain. Um, but I can't ignore those few technical shortcomings. So I might I might say four point seven five. Just nice, nice. I'm, yeah. I, I like you, Jordan. Obviously, Ross and I are, are slightly older than you, and so I always, always thought Pierce Brosnan would be my Bond forever, because like, I, my mum knew someone who made the see-through guns for the beginning of Tomorrow Never Dies, and nice. like, they nice. kept coming out on or around my birthday when I was growing up, so it was always a big <laughs> deal, but. Daniel Craig is absolutely my bond and this has just been a wonderful yeah. end and I'm sad that there won't be another one and I'm really excited to sit down and watch all five in sequence as soon as I can and we'll find out next year who maybe plays the next yeah. bond if they will oh they will I'll pretend they... to be surprised when it's Dev Patel <laughs> or Red, Reggie Jean Page is it John Page the guy from Bridgerton that, yeah, Reggie, yeah yeah he's that's I've got my money on him I mean I haven't literally got money on him but I might do that <laughs> yeah yeah right so I think we'll call it there um thank you very much Ross thank you and Bond James Bond and thank you, Jordan. Hopefully, anyone who's listened to this will also be hearing your dulcet tones on a, f- uh, a soon upcoming episode of a sort of mainline episode of the pod, or maybe a couple. I am, I am hard at work already on my. Uh, <laughs> also, in fact, uh, the the potential appearance will be another Daniel Craig. It will. Oh, so work it out. It. Work it gonna, out what it's going to be. Any more away yet for now, but yeah, we're <laughs> very excited to have you back. It's again Cowboys again. versus Aliens. Cowboys versus Aliens. <laughs> That's been on the list for so long, and yeah. none of us have picked it yet. But we'll, yeah, we'll. Maybe it is that. Ooh, who knows? Ooh, maybe oh. it's, not, it's, it's absolutely not. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, Jordan, thanks again for coming back. It's a pleasure to have you and looking forward to recording with you Thank some you more very soon. much. And of course, yeah, thanks definitely. everyone for, for tuning in and having a listen. Let us know what you thought of it. Find us on Twitter. Let us know if we've all been talking out of our asses or whether you maybe agree, um, mainly with what Jordan said, because he's the most eloquent and and best at putting out his yeah. very, very well thought out <laughs> ideas. Um, but so that's it from me. Thank you and goodbye.